Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and I'm an avid book lover and I really love listening to authors tell their story. So, in each episode of Inside Books, we chat to a well-known author to find out what's going on in their world and we'll also update you on books news and events taking place around the country. Obviously, we love hearing from you, so please do get in touch. You can follow us on Twitter at InsideBooksIRE or email us on InsideBooks at UniqueMedia.ie. Later in the programme, Bert Wright, who's a Books Festival curator and Nadine O'Regan, Books and Arts Editor with the Sunday Business Post, will join us to talk about how book festivals are organised and what it's really like to interview authors in front of an audience. But first, Catherine Reinhard is a crime novelist. Her first book, Distress Signals, came out last year and her next title, The Liar's Girl, is due out early next year. Now, Distress Signals is about a woman who goes missing on a cruise ship and the book has been shortlisted for and won a number of awards. The most recent nomination is for a Crime Writers Association New Blood Dagger Award. Catherine, welcome. Thank you. So, up for a Crime Writers Association Award for your debut crime novel, if you don't mind. <laughs> I know, it's quite nice. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So, when did you get the news? Well, actually, last week, this is going to sound terrible and give a completely erroneous view of the, the lives of writers, but I was in Paris at the... As you do. <laughs> at the um, Irish Cultural Institute. I went there for a week to write. And I was sitting at my desk doing my copy edits on the new book and a friend of mine was at the announcement and I just got a text saying, this is not a drill, you are on the shortlist. So and had you any expectation? I had zero expectation. They don't tell you in advance. I found out about the long list the same way uh, by text message from a friend who was there. And the list of books, there's 12 of us chosen, all debut thrillers or crime novels. And just looking at the other authors on the list, I thought, you know, I don't have a hope. So to to make the shortlist is, is just incredible. It means I get to go to the awards. And, and they're in it. October. They're in October, yeah. October 26th, not that I'm, you know, obsessed Focused with the date. Focused on that date. <laughs> but it'll be a great opportunity as well to meet so many other people in your genre. Yes, I mean, this is what I love about award ceremonies is, you know, we all work uh, home alone and we keep each other sane via Twitter. But when you get to go and meet other authors, you know, it's like meeting your colleagues and you have someone to sort of uh, commiserate with or you know celebrate with and it's just lovely especially in the crime writing community because I think people are especially supportive of each other And last year you were nominated for the Crime Novel of the Year at the Borgosh Energy Irish Book Award so I suppose how important then are nominations in terms of even publicity just for your book? Well, I mean, they're fantastic. Like, I would say that when you are writing the book, that is the furthest thing from your mind. Like, of course, you want to get a deal and maybe sometimes, you know, the little thought of a TV or a movie adaptation will slip on in there. Uh, Well, Distress Signals has been optioned for a TV, but, uh, you know, that's like buying a ticket for the lotto. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Um, But you never really think of awards. And then when they come along, it's just, it's lovely because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a pat on the back for all the hard work that you put into the book. And it also means that potentially new readers will find your book. And that's what this is all about. Like, you know, uh, I think it's Rebecca Solnit who said a novel is... uh, a heart that only beats in the chest of another. Like, it needs readers. If you just leave your book in a drawer and no one ever reads it, is it really a novel? Like, I'm in this because I want people to read my book. And why did you start writing crime then? Well, the reason I started writing crime is because 
first of all, I had been trying to write everything else except crime and that was getting me nowhere because now looking back, I see that my heart wasn't in it. I love crime fiction. I love thrillers. Um, I started reading, you know, Patricia Cornwell, like illicitly when I was probably 12 or 13 and that just completely hooked me. Um, It's what I read more than anything else. It's the genre I love. I love the puzzle of it, the mystery, uh, you know, the darkness. I find all that so fascinating. And I just thought, I never really thought that I could do it because I thought, you know, this is so fabulous. I, I don't have the skills to do it. And was it a case that you just felt you hadn't come up with a good enough plot or that you didn't think your writing was good enough? Um, I think the first one, the first one. I mean, if I thought my writing wasn't good enough, I wouldn't get anything done any day. You have to convince yourself that it is. But like... I did think for, I mean, I always wanted to get published and I had like a PhD and in, in everything to do with how to get published, but I never actually sat down and finished a book. And I think that's what was missing was this crucial idea for a plot that would not only get you to the first three or four chapters, but propel you all the way to the end of, you know, a hundred thousand word book. And what I found really interesting about Distress Signals, it's it's based on a, on a cruise ship, mm-hmm. but instead of focusing sort of on a detective who's trying to solve the mystery or a journalist who's trying to solve the mystery, history. It's based on an ordinary guy who just needs to find his missing girlfriend. So was that a a plot logic that you used purposely? Absolutely. I mean, part of it is laziness because I just (laughs) did not want to research (laughs) Garty or anything like that. Sorry. Um, But I just find that terrifying. Like I thought if someone I loved went missing and the people who are supposed to help me, who are the Garty or, or other law enforcement, say to me, they're not really missing. They just left. So there's mm-hmm. nothing we can do. And you, you've the whole world to search for this person. And you're only one person yourself. Where do you start? Where do you start? What can you possibly do? And that to me is so much more interesting as a reader and a writer than, you know, the guardie going to look for someone. And you also mentioned, uh, you know, previously that you technology has such an impact on how a crime writer can write their book now because people can be tripped up so much by social media, by telephones, cell phones, mobile phones, whatever it might be. So you purposely chose a cruise ship because technology nearly doesn't exist out in the middle of the ocean. And that makes it easier for a crime writer. Yeah, I mean, I I would say, though, that the book is divided into two halves. And I think in the first half, technology plays a huge role and it helps him find the clues that lead him onto the cruise ship. Then it was just lucky, of course, on a cruise ship that his phone doesn't work very well. (laughs) (laughs) Conveniently. But I, I actually embrace technology and, you know, I don't like it when I read a crime novel and in the first chapter, the phone breaks or, you know, they go to a place where there's, and there's it's no reception. Cliched. It's too cliched and it's too convoluted. Like phones are such a part of our lives. You know, I was, at, as I said, traveling during the weekend, there was a woman next to me and she had her phone out and she was able to look at dots on her screen showing where all her daughters were around the city. Mm. You know, you can't ignore the fact that that's where our lives are now. So in Distressing Us and in my second one, I do absolutely make a point of saying, you know, the phone is there and this is all the things we can do with it. And the other element you like doing is leaving little clues all the way during the book. Yep. So (laughs) that's nearly leaving them out in open sight but you really have to be fairly sharp maybe to to figure them all out or go back and reread and then figure them out once you know what the end is. That's the hardest thing to do and it's it's quite a tightrope because you have to you have to keep things from the reader you don't want them to figure it out but if they ever reread the book 
they will have to see that things were clearly signposted. So why did you decide to do that, though, when you don't actually need to do that? I think you do need to do that. I think you have to play fair with the reader. Like I recently read The Dry by Jane Harper, which is one of my books of the summer. I just think it was fantastic. And there is a, a, I won't give anything away, but there is a certain clue or piece of evidence in that book that you know, it's more than in plain sight. It's handed to you on a platter, but you don't realise what you're looking at at the time. And when you get to the end, it just makes it like I'm feeling a chill right now. It just makes it so satisfying because you say she gave me all the information and I thought it was something else or I didn't see it. Like, I think um, I think it's unfair to keep everything from the reader. The reader should have all the information that the protagonist does. Right. Um, and, you know, if he's able to figure it out, they should too, but hopefully at the same time. <laughs> well, that, that's it. And I suppose just to go back, you mentioned earlier that you have written previously, but it was nonfiction and they yeah. were generally about travel and they were self-published. So why did you go down the self-publishing route in that case? Well, my official excuse is that I needed ink cartridges and coffee to help me (laughs) write my novel. Yeah. (laughs) No, um, self-publishing for me was always a means to an end. It was always, you know, I always wanted to get published and I felt that was kind of um, a sort of side venture while I was focusing on that. The reason I self-published Mousetrapped, which was my first travel book, was because I tried to get it published and I got the same response more or less from everyone I sent it to, which was we enjoyed reading this, but there's absolutely no market for it. And, you know, they were as right today as they were then about that statement because this but was But you did go on to sell about 11, 12,000 copies But of all it. over the world. Mm-hmm. So if I was published in Ireland or in the UK there wouldn't have been enough of a demand in these two territories to justify a print run of that book or to justify trying to get that book into Eason's, you know, to all that thing. But if I took everyone all over the world, all the little pockets of interest in that book and put them together, then I had great sales on my hands. But that could only have been achieved by self-publishing. So why then did you go down the more traditional route with the crime novels? Well, I didn't grow up uh, dreaming of seeing my book on a Kindle. (laughs) Um, You know, I never deviated. I wanted to get published. I still think that all things being equal, it's the better option. Um, There is things, and I actually didn't realise, I thought I knew about publishing. Like I kind of worked on the periphery of publishing for a while and I knew a lot about it from self-publishing and things. And I thought... You know, I knew the differences between the two, but actually when you're published, you don't realise all the things that you get or that you have access to or that you have opportunities to do that you just don't have with self-publishing. So there is a, a big difference then there's really a, there's between the two. There's a chasm. There is a, a grand canyon of difference between the two of them. Interesting. You know? And did you have the book written then before you approached a publisher, your crime novel, Distress Signals, or or what way did that work? So what happened is I I was stuck on 30,000 words forever. This story now is do as I say, not do as I do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I was stuck on 30,000 words forever and I went out for coffee with two of my writing friends, uh, Sheena Lambert and Hazel Gaynor. And they said, would you ever just send out what you have? Because right. you're never going to finish it. So I sent it out to an agent hoping she would come back and say, I want to read the rest. And the fear of that would propel me to finish it. And that's exactly what happened. But You when needed I, a deadline I needed well. a deadline. But when I sent her the full thing, she said no. Oh. Right? Because, of course, that I had just written it. <laughs> written it in a few weeks. So then I worked on it a bit more and then I sent it out to Jane Gregory. And Jane Gregory is the agent of, you know, if you're a female crime writer. And I was terrified of her because her, her website said, send us 10 pages. Normally you send 50. Right. 
So I was like, how could anyone even know in 10 pages whether or not the book's good? But or I did it. which 10 pages do I send? Well, you have to send so. the first 10. That's, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's a given. But I didn't send nine. I didn't send 11. I cut her off at the end of page 10 and I sent it off. And long story short, she took me on. So then we worked on another draft of the book for about six months. And that's what went out to publishers. And within five days, I had a book deal. That's, you know, an overnight success. Isn't that After what they call years. it? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, as well as being a full-time writer at the moment you're also in college as yeah. a mature student uh, studying English in Trinity so balancing both of those is, is it difficult from a time perspective? Um, everyone always says I don't know how you do it but I don't do it like I have handed <laughs> in essays late I have been up the night before cramming um, luckily it all works out with um, a good dose of caffeine but it is um, incredibly hard and you know I do wish I had more time to give to college sometimes because I just don't I don't I I have time to do the bare amount most of the time and that's it because writing is my priority of course um and like I I feel bad saying this because you know I don't have children I don't have a full-time job and I know there's people doing it so you with, should have loads I should of time have all then. the time in the world but there's <laughs> so much on Netflix it's really hard <laughs> <laughs> but you have managed to write the second one which is just called about, yeah the liar's girl and uh, what's it about? Okay, so this is set on dry land. Um, or the no water, ships no time. ships. Although water does feature, and it's set here in Dublin. So um, I haven't really perfected my elevator pitch yet. But the the t- I'll give you the strap line as a tease, which is ten years ago, her first love confessed to five murders, but the truth was so much worse. Only five. Only five. Only five. And it's a standalone, so it's not a follow-on from the previous book. No, previous no, it's book. a standalone, yeah. And how did you find writing book two then in comparison Awful. to book one? It was absolutely oh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You're really not uh, giving us an awful lot of encouragement here. <laughs> I have to make up for saying I was in Paris last week. No, it was, um, I had sec- second book syndrome, is what I called it. So the problem is that you've spent your whole life thinking about your first novel. You know, like I had so much time to think about that and I was was able to write it without anyone even knowing I was doing it and then I got published that was so exciting and like the like my launch was like my wedding like I had <laughs> favours I had multiple outfits there was everybody you ever on. knew was there exactly it was like it was a huge deal and I was so focused on that and distracted by all the shiny stuff of getting published that I first of all started my book late And then what happened is like, I remember the day I got, well, I found out that I was getting a review in the Irish Times from Declan News and it was a fantastic, like it couldn't have been a better review. And my first thought was absolutely, you know, delirious happiness that this had happened. But then I had to go sit at a computer and look at a blank screen. And I I remember one of the things he said in the review was not a false note, that there's not a false note in the book. The pressure. And the pressure, like it just felt like crushing. So it did take me a long a long time to get over that and to actually get into the rhythm of writing the book but I think talking to other writers that happens to a lot Mm. of us and you know I'm so excited about the third book that I'm about to start work on and I I know that all the stuff that was going through my head in the second one is just noise and can be put aside and that's a piece of advice I would give if you are out there and you want to get published the first thing you have to do is when you finish that book, set it aside, open a new document and type chapter one and try and get as far into your second book as you can before you go out. And actually some other authors that we've spoken to have said, you know, once they've moved on to the next book, they've nearly totally forgotten the plot for the for the, for the the previous ones, you know, because they need to compartmentalise. Yeah, as you're, much as you're they in can. a headspace with, you know, the first book and 
you know, I was see, I didn't really have that problem because I wasn't far enough into the second book when the the first one came out. But I can see it now happening with the third one because I will have the third one written by the time the second one comes out and then you'll have to switch gears and go back and sure you probably can barely remember what you wrote a year ago. And is the third one a standalone as well? It is, yes. So any, you know, would you ever be tempted to try your hand at a series? No. Not at all. (laughs) I really like reading series, but I have no interest in writing them. I don't know why. They just don't, they don't appeal to me. And my ideas... They're all quite like in little capsules. They don't connect up with each other. You know, I'm, I like a fresh start every time. So it's just easier for you in, in this sense. So and you mentioned just at the outset that Distress Signals, just to go back to your first book, has been optioned for, for TV. So will that be a reality, do you think? Um, I really don't know. It's been optioned by Jetstone Media, who are behind, you know, some, they were behind, they supported, let's say, Line of Duty season three and things like that. So that's great. What is happening at the moment is that they are going out to broadcasters and they're trying to get, you know, writers involved and stuff. But so, so, so many things are optioned that are never made. And we just have to wait and see. If it happens, it'll be a fantastic bonus. It's not anything to do with what I set out to achieve. So if it doesn't happen, look, you know, it's not the end of the world. No, well, in the meantime, you have your nomination for the Crime Writers Association Dagger Award to look forward to, which is fantastic. That's happening in October. Catherine Reinhard, thank you for joining us today on Inside Books. And don't forget that Distress Signals is in bookshops now and The Liar's Girl will be out next year. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Follow us on Twitter on Inside Books IRE or email us on insidebooks at uniquemedia.ie. Now, if you love books and reading, you've probably attended a book festival or two over the years. But did you ever wonder how these festivals are put together? Who decides on the author lineup? And how do you find the best person to moderate a panel discussion at these events? Well, two people who know the answers to these questions are Bert Wright, who has curated dozens of book events and festivals over the years, and Nadine O'Regan, who's the books and arts editor with the Sunday Business Post, as well as presenter of Songs in the Key of Life on Today FM. And Bert, just turning to you first, I suppose you're a busy man at the moment. You've got the DLR Library Voices series coming up. Yeah, the Voices series starts uh, in the autumn and uh, we've got a terrific lineup, we think. And we have international names like Nicole Krauss, Claire Massoud and Jennifer Egan, big American names in the series. But also Irish writers like Ruth Fitzmaurice and Berta McClaverty both of whose books have been making a huge impact in the media in recent weeks, I'm sure you've noticed. Uh, Bernard's novel, Midwinter Break, is the best novel I've read all year. Uh, Anne Enright called it a portrait of love's complexity written by a master craftsman from the fullness fullness of his heart. I'm looking forward to reading it. Which is high praise indeed, but it's also richly deserved. It's a terrific novel. So how do you source these authors then? Well, the DLR Voices series will be 10 years old next year, and it's one of the longest running, most successful reading series in the country at this stage. So publishers regard it as an ideal context for top flight authors who have new books to publicise. They know what they'll be getting, great event spaces, always good crowds, smart professional moderators like Nadine on my right here, (laughs) and just generally a well-run series. And, And on that then, how do you decide who the moderator might be? Well, I guess you want uh, a fluent communicator, obviously, someone that puts the author and the audience at their ease. A moderator needs to be a good listener and definitely not a fan who gushes and inserts themselves into the conversation in a kind of obtrusive way. Because that can be a problem, can't it? 
Well, it has been at times, but thankfully not too often. The moderator, a good moderator knows the right questions to draw out the author and get them talking. Uh, and Nadine, you have moderated a number of events at this stage and you're actually lined up to, um, to in- interview Nicole Krauss on the 28th of August as part of, of this DLOR Voices series. How do you find it? Oh, I really enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't do it if I didn't because I'm pretty busy uh working obviously for the Business Post and for Today FM. And for me, the process of going out to interview an author before a crowd, it, it makes you see um, both the author and the author's work in an entirely different way because you're facing a bunch of people who are really big fans of that author. And the questions that they ask actually at the end of the public Q&A can be very illuminating and revealing and also the way they interact with the author, the places uh, as that where as part of the Q&A they might laugh or where you can see their interest being piqued is also actually very illuminating for me as both an interviewer and as a journalist. And is there much difference between interviewing somebody for the Sunday Business Post, which is a print interview, and interviewing them in front of an audience? It's very different, I think, for them. Some people light up in front of an audience. Mm. Their showmanship comes to the fore. (laughs) And then there are other people who might be quaking with nerves backstage and who are really very private people. And it's kind of an endurance fest for them to get on that stage. And it's not that they don't like it or they're not not pleased after they've done it. It's just that it's a little bit harder for them because a lot of authors are natural introverts, uh, very comfortable in the library of their house working on their books. And do you prefer then to meet the author in advance or do you prefer to go into the interview cold? Well, it really depends. It can be very useful uh, to spend some time with them backstage. And I would often say to them backstage, is there a particular passage from your book you might like to read? Do you want to read it all? Are there any sort of elements that you want me to keep away from? Um, And that puts them at ease really, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I try to sort of figure out what they would enjoy sort of doing as part of a crowd in the sense of like some people want to read from their novel other mm-hmm. people it is their idea of hell so what they probably don't want is an interviewer who's going to surprise them too much now yeah. that said an element of surprise can be very useful so sometimes if somebody says to me oh you know my mum's in the audience uh, which did happen recently when I was interviewing John Boyne as part of a public interview um, I might say oh you know John Boyne's mum is, is in the audience tonight and the crowd will love, love that. So he's on his best behaviour as a result. Oh, you know, they, they really will. Um, and he is on his best behaviour, but it, it adds an extra dimension. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if you're talking to people backstage, you can get that little bit of extra that can be really, really useful and can really help. And I think that's sort of what I love about those type of events is you get a little bit of a, a better insight into the author and into the personality. And that's it's, it's the job of a moderator to try and, and pull that out as much as they can. Yeah, it's fundamentally not about you. You're a proxy for the audience. Uh, they are there to hear the words and thoughts of that author. And if you're doing a good job, uh, that author will 
be brought uh, into the fullness of themselves on the stage in front of that audience and the audience will leave really feeling enriched by a discussion. Hopefully they'll have something to think about, they'll have laughed a little bit, they'll have heard something from the book and they'll leave feeling a sense of community as well as readers, which is very important. But don't you think that half hour in the green room is crucial because they get to meet each other mm-hmm. and they can compare notes, what they're going to read and all the rest of it. And you, if, the, if the author is in that uh, introverted uh, person, sort of person who's not comfortable, uh, that half hour where you get to discuss everything, you get mic'd up together, that usually sets them at the It relaxes ease. them. It does, yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, you know, not everything goes according to plan. So what happens if you do get somebody who's a little bit difficult or just not talkative on that particular day? And especially if they're a big star. Well, I will say I was backstage with... Um, Andrew McCarthy, who had written, do you remember his oh, travel yes, yeah, memoir? Yeah, yeah. And I was a big the fan. actor, wasn't that yeah, right? Yeah, the actor. And I'd been a big fan of those 80s movies that mm. he'd starred in. And it was kind of a thrill to see him in real life because I'd grown up with his face on my screen. And I said to him, I said, Andrew, would you like to read something from the book, maybe as part of the, the public, the Q&A? And he said, sure. He said, do you have any idea, you know, what passage I should, I should read? So I said, well, what about this one? And I pointed to a particular passage that I thought very eloquently summarised the theme of the book and the idea behind the memoir. And he just gives me this look and he goes, that actually was... uh probably the only paragraph in the book that uh, my editor more or less wrote (laughs) as a kind of summary version of the book itself and I was like oh my goodness I was like I really enjoyed the whole thing Um, we don't have to read from from that page there's no need to do that and we can totally do another one and so he was a little bit kind of oh about it and I was going on stage thinking my god have we started things on a really bad note but it worked out really well he was a cool guy well he was brilliant but then it came to the bit where I said would you like to read a little bit from the book and I thought he was going to read a different piece, a piece of his choosing. And he looked at me and smiled and he read the bit oh, that I'd suggested and it went very well. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing was, you don't know. And um, every author that I've dealt with, um, both backstage and on stage, has been really great to deal with. But it is... You know, you're, you can be playing with fire at times. You don't know how things are going to go and you don't know how people are managing as well because sometimes they're on book tour and they can be very tired. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think you you as the moderator, you need to have your research done as well and have the books read and that's only fair to the, to the individual that you're interviewing. And also that time maybe beforehand you can get an insight as to whether or not they are in a long book tour, whether they have a lot of other stuff going on. Is this, you know, a box ticking exercise and a long list of things they have to do that week? One thing that I think is, is very important is that generally speaking the author that you're interviewing is doing the public interview because they have a new book out and you will have read the new book but ideally you will also have read the books that made them famous Mm. because the audience that is there that audience almost certainly has not read the new book and to some extent it's like a band trying out their new material they Mm. don't have the fondness for that book (laughs) because they haven't read it yet Mm. so you need to be able to speak about the works that made that person uh, who they are as well Well you'll find out more information about the DLR Voices series on paviliontheatre.ie so for that fantastic insight into into how book festivals really work and what goes on behind the scenes. Bert Wright and Nadine O'Regan, thank you for joining us on Inside Books. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to Inside Books with me, Brida Brown, and the next episode will be out soon, so just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at InsideBooksIRE. And if you want to get in touch, just email us. It's InsideBooks at UniqueMedia.ie. Until next time, keep reading. 
Inside Books is a unique media production. 